So I said a moment ago, we are continuing our series this morning that we are calling Difference Maker that starts with a simple premise that we all want to make a difference. We want to make a difference in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. We want to make a difference in the world as a whole. But while we want to make a difference, we also oftentimes have the tendency to want to be just like everybody else. The simple truth that is grounded in Scripture is that if you want to make a difference, we have to be willing to be different. So as part of the series, we are reading together through the book of Daniel. Uh, We put together a reading plan, and there are bookmarks that have that reading plan. There's also uh, more information and study resources on our website at universitychristian.org slash differencemakers. How many of you Truth be told, let's be honest, how many of you started reading this last week, the book of Daniel, and have been reading along? Good, good. There's some room for improvement among that church. So let me ask you again, how many of you are going to catch up this afternoon and begin reading with us this week? That's much better. I like it. Good work. Good work. These bookmarks are available at just about every exit. We would love to have you join us as part of that. We have found something powerful and profound happens when As a community of faith, we gather together and intentionally read the same scripture together and study it, uh, that something powerful happens within the life of the church, and we hope that you will be a part of that. So this morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. It's found in Daniel chapter 3. I want to invite you to find that in your pew pocket Bibles if you've not done so already. As you're doing that, I want to take just a moment to remind you of how the book starts. In Daniel 1, uh, chapter 1, excuse, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So the first four chapters of the book of Daniel, the main character is this guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a bad dude. I don't know any other way to say it than he was just a bad dude. We know from other resources outside of the Bible that he was a general and then around the year 605 became king. And not just any king, he was an evil king. He was a bad man. And he would go around to different neighbors and nations killing and kidnapping. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, I want you to skip for just a moment to chapter 4 because I want to read there what's happening the first line of chapter 4, because it's pretty surprising. Now, just so you know, this is what you're going to be reading over the next few weeks, or excuse me, starting tomorrow for the next week. And it says there that King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, to all nations, to all languages that live throughout the world, may you have abundant prosperity. May there be peace. The signs and wonders of the Most High God has worked for me, and I am pleased to recount. So there is a shift 180 degree shift and all of a sudden King Nebuchadnezzar, this bad dude, this evil king, is now talking about peace, about prosperity, about the most high God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. Now keep in mind that up to this point in the story, he has gone to great lengths to wipe the world clean of the Jewish heritage, right? He wanted nothing to do with the Jewish people. He wanted nothing to do with the Jewish God, Yahweh especially their weak, puny God, Yahweh. But yet here, here at the start of chapter 4, he's calling God Yahweh, the Most High God, talking about the things, the wonderful things that God has done, which leads us to ask the question, what happens in Nebuchadnezzar's life in order to make this kind of change? 
Well, what we're going to discover this morning is that what happens in chapter 4 is directly related to what happens in chapter 3. So for the sake of time, we've shortened it, we've condensed it a little bit, we've adapted it. Uh, so if you're reading along as the invitation was given, uh, you may notice that it's a little bit different. But let us read together Daniel chapter 3. This morning's scripture is adapted from Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits, which is 90 feet high by 9 feet thick. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He ordered all the leaders in the province to assemble for a de dedication of the statue. They all came and took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. A band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon began to play. And when the people heard it, they fell down and worshiped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the king, long live the king. You have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed for two high positions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. He said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. The word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Thank you, Randy. That is exactly how I heard it in my head. That was, you are an excellent herald. That was well done. So I mentioned last week that I think that what is happening in Daniel has a lot to say about where we are today. And I think that's true for the book, but I think that it's also very true for this particular story. And so there's a lot to get to, so let's dive right in. In the very first few verses, we learn that King Nebuchadnezzar builds a giant golden statue. Now, we don't know what that is, we just know the size, and it is enormous. Now, I have to wonder and think that, that the author is being vague on purpose, that he doesn't tell us as a way of inviting us into the story. He wants us to imagine and to wonder, to bring our curious questions of, I wonder what that statue was. Some immediately will assume that it was a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And that may be true, we simply don't know. Others may think that it was some sort of a sign, some sort of a, a symbol of Babylon as a whole. Again, maybe, we simply don't know. But I think that the author is vague on purpose and then calls all the people, especially the leaders, the important people who gather together are invited for the dedication of this vague statue. Now, I want to point out that at this point in the story, there's no problem. All Nebuchadnezzar has done is create some beautiful, elaborate, we can assume expensive piece of art. At this point, he's done nothing morally wrong. He's just created a statue that I think is meant to represent in some way, shape, or form all that humans can do, that all that humans can achieve, that all that humans can create. And so I want to pause there, as I will throughout this sermon this morning, and simply ask a question. I want to invite you to ask yourself in this moment, what are my golden images? What are those things in my life that are, for me, golden images? Now, as you start to think about these things, I don't immediately want you to go dark and to think of all the negative, bad things in your life. Because as I said, at this point in the story, the statue is morally neutral. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it might have been a beautiful thing. Think of it this way, maybe. That this was a 90-foot statue. An image that is going to cast a large shadow over everything around it. So maybe this is the way to ask that question. What is it that casts a big shadow in your life? Again, maybe not necessarily a, a bad thing, but just casts a large shadow. It has a lot of weight in your life. It takes up a lot of your time, a lot of your energy, a lot of your attention. Not necessarily bad things, but they just take up a lot of space. It casts a big shadow. Now, I suspect that some of you immediately when I ask this question think, for me, the golden statue in my life is my job. Jobs are not bad things. We all need them in order to put food on the table and pay rent and mortgage and all those sort of things. Jobs are good things, but sometimes they take up a lot of space in our life. They become for us a golden image that requires from us a lot of time and energy and attention. Or maybe, and let me, let me sort of make it a little more simple, a little more, uh, a little more simple, what about that personal computer that you carry in your pocket that we sometimes refer to as a phone? 
I know for a lot of us, our phones carry a pretty big shadow in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but my phone takes up a lot of space in my life. In fact, every Sunday morning, I now get a report that comes to me on Sunday mornings of how much time that I have given to the phone in the last week. Does anybody else have this? That always comes, pops up just as I am coming to church on Sunday mornings. As if a way to say, Russ, pay attention to this. Is anybody else convicted by the little report that comes on Sunday mornings about how much time and energy you spend on your phone? Maybe for you, maybe for you it's worry or fear. Fear is not a bad thing, right? It keeps us safe. It causes us to either fight or flight. Sometimes it saves our lives. But sometimes fear can cast a large shadow, take up a lot of space. What is your golden image? What are the golden images in your life? So now we get to verse 5 and we read this, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble, everyone is invited, encouraged, demanded to fall down and to worship the, gas, the, the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So church, now we have a problem. Up until that point, we didn't have a problem. Now we have a problem because now Nebuchadnezzar expects the people to start doing something towards the image that they simply shouldn't be doing. For Jews, there is one thing and one thing only that you worship, and it is not golden statues. Do you remember the very first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods. Thou shalt not worship any golden images. And that means no other gods. No other golden images. Now the golden image becomes problematic because in this moment it wants something that the people of faith simply can't give it. It's demanding something of them that they simply can't give. So I want to pause again and ask a similar question, maybe the same question in a slightly different way, and that is quite simply, what is asking too much of me? Ask yourself the question, what is asking too much of me? What are the things in my life that may not necessarily be bad on their own, not a big deal, they may be morally neutral, but are simply asking too much of me? Again, the low-hanging fruit. There are times when my phone wants more from me than is good for me to give it. More time, more focus, more energy. There may be apps that invite me to spend more money than I would like to spend, that I would be do well to give it. All of which are designed by people who are experts at getting our attention. Again, the phone is fine. It's a tool. I use it for ministry. I use it to keep in contact with my family. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes... It simply asks too much of me. As a pastor in this community, as a parent of a Paschal High School student, today I have to wonder if maybe the golden statues, one of the golden images in our culture and our community, that is asking way too much of us is our fascination with guns. I can tell you this, that for those two families, those three families that are now dealing with this tragedy in a very interesting intricate way, those guns have asked way too much of them than they should be willing to give. So what is it in your life that is asking too much, that is casting a big shadow and wants too much of you? Well, you heard what happens when the music starts, 
all the peoples, all the nations, all the language, they all fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but there is a lot of repetition in this story. In fact, as we condensed it, we cut out some of the lists of all the musical instruments. They appear not once, not twice, as you heard in the reading today, but actually they appear four times. Again, I think that this is one of the author's way of inviting us to see the silliness. It's almost as if to say, this is just ridiculous. The author uses that repetition to point out, this is just ridiculous. But yet, as ridiculous as it is, whatever King Nebuchadnezzar says to do, they all do it. All nations, all people, all languages, all of them just like sheep. But yet there are three. There are three that didn't. They refused. They paid no heed and didn't worship the golden statue. By the way, paid no heed is my new favorite phrase. I don't know how I'm going to use it. I don't know when I'm going to use it. But the next time somebody requests something of me, I simply say, I pay you no heed. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know when, but expect to hear that. I pay you no heed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no heed. And it's the staff of the king comes and they say, they don't serve your gods, they don't worship the golden statue that you have set up. And in this moment, the king flies into this furious rage and summons the three young men and asks them, is this true? Now, in my mind's ear, I hear disappointment. I hear sort of pain. Now, there are some who read this text and, and sort of read between the lines and assume that Nebuchadnezzar knows these men. He's promoted them. These are not just some random servants, random employees that names don't apply. He doesn't know who they are. No, he knows these guys. These are people that have served in his court. They have worked alongside of him. He knows them. And so when he hears that they pay him no heed, that they disrespect him in this way, he's disappointed. And he takes it personally. He says, is it true? Is it true that you have done this? But then, maybe because he knows and because he likes them, he gives them a second chance. And we have to think that, that if he didn't know them, if he didn't like them, they probably would have been burnt up already. But yet here in the story, he gives them another chance and he tells them that this time, if they don't, they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. Have you ever noticed, church, how the voices in our lives do this sometimes. They say, if you follow along with everybody else, things will be good. If you don't, if you defy, if you don't spend your time, your energy, your resources in the way that everybody else does, well, in that moment, there will be consequences. You need to be just like everybody else, and if you don't, there will be consequences. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have the wisdom to see right through all of this, through all the nonsense, through all the silliness, and they say, we don't even need to answer your question. We don't need to defend ourselves, they say. And then, in what I believe to be one of the greatest speeches of defiance in all of Scripture, they simply say, if our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, then let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that 
we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the statue that you have set up. Now, some people see this and read that God will, maybe God will deliver us and maybe God won't. But I think that that's a bad interpretation. That's a bad reading of that text. I think what they are saying is maybe you will follow through on your threats and maybe you won't. But either way, we'll be fine. Either way, we will be fine. But the bottom line is that's not who we are. That's not who God created us to be. One of the greatest speeches, one of the great moments of defiance in all of Scripture. Well, I'm going to let you read what happens next. We stopped at verse 18, but let me give you a Cliff Notes version of what happens next. Spoiler alert, he does it. He throws them in and then turns up the heat even hotter. In fact, it says seven times hotter. And you've heard me say that any time a number is mentioned in Scripture, it's done so on purpose. And seven is the number of infinity. And so in this time, this is infinitely hot. So hot that we are told that even the people that came and threw them into the fire, even those servants got so close that they themselves were burnt toast. You know, the truth is, the truth is, that in this moment, they probably could have done what everybody else does. In fact, it probably would have been a good idea. But our three heroes, they didn't do it. And in that moment, in that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and sits up quickly and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we throw three in there? Then why is there four and the fourth appears to be one of the sons of God? Whew. You see why I love this story. You see, he realizes here what's going on in that moment, and he calls them out of the furnace. And again, the author here is so good, and the way he tells this story is amazing. He says that they weren't harmed. In fact, he says... Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Huh, I love that. They weren't harmed. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. For Nebuchadnezzar, there's only one thing that he can do, and he simply looks and says, I don't know what it is, but there is something about your God. And that's when he goes and says what he says in chapter 4 that we looked at earlier about the peace and the prosperity, about the Most High God. So I want to ask you, church, what is it that makes the difference in this story? What is it that led to this profound conversion in Nebuchadnezzar's life? I would suggest that simply these three men choosing to be different than everybody else. And when we tend to focus on three men and, and, and what God does in their lives, I think one of the main things that we need to see here is not just that God did something powerful in their lives, but through their lives, God is able to do something amazing in Nebuchadnezzar's life as well. Again, they could have bowed down and did what everybody else did. And the truth is, nobody would have judged them. In fact, they would probably encourage them, just do it. Don't cause trouble. But they refused. They paid no heed. And had they not... They would not have the experience of going through the fire, but also would not have the opportunity to change one of the, the lives of one of the most powerful men in the world at that time. You see, being different 
didn't just bless them. God used them. God used their willingness to be different to bless others as well. Do you see why this story is so good and why it's so important? Because here's what I believe to be true more than anything else in my life, and that is that God wants to make a difference through you. That God wants to make a difference in this world through you, and maybe you know how that is, and maybe you don't yet know, but what I believe is that God wants to make a difference through you. And if you want to make a difference, you have to be willing to be different. So this next week, as you reflect on this story, as you reflect on what you'll be reading, I want you to ask yourself these questions. What are the golden images of my life? What are those things that take up a lot of space, that cast a big shadow? What are the golden images in my life? And what is asking too much of me? Is it your job? Again, it's a good thing. But maybe it's asking too much of you. And maybe, and I hesitate to bring this up, but I'm going to anyway. I grew up playing sports, and I love watching my kids play sports. But for some families in our church, I know that youth sports is asking way too much from them. They give them hours and hours during the week, all day Saturday. And here's what I know to be true, that youth sports are coming for Sunday morning as well. Maybe youth sports is asking too much of us. For some, and I know this to be true in some of our congregation, they have come to realize that alcohol is one of those things that was asking too much of them. It was, they were giving too much of themselves to alcohol. They were giving not only their nights, but also their mornings. It was requiring from them their resources, their relationships, and they came to the realization that it is asking too much and they paid it no heed, they quit. So maybe the last question that we need to ask ourselves is how much is too much? How much is too much that these things ask of us? For these three, they realized that it had gone too far when they came to the realization that they couldn't serve it and they couldn't serve God at the same time. They served in the king's court and that was fine. But they couldn't give to Nebuchadnezzar's silly golden image something that only God deserved. And so as you wrestle this week and ask yourself, is this thing affecting my ability to do the two things that Jesus says are most important? And that is to love God and to love others. You see, we all have these things in our lives. We all have these golden images. And they may not be bad things. But sometimes, sometimes they simply ask too much. They want more for us than we are willing to give. So church, what are the golden images in your life? What are those things that are asking too much? And simply, how much is too much? Amen.
may be seated. Today we dedicate parents in the congregation to the nurture of young lives in the church. We celebrate the lives of Donovan Earnhardt Little, son of David and Julie Little, and Hope Wilkie Dunham, daughter of Grace and Zach Dunham. Jesus said, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles themselves like this child, they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, through his example, taught adults to love children, and the church must do the same. We will love these children through affirmation, kindness, warm words, accepting arms, example, and patience. Parents are the key, and the rest of us are called to help them in giving to their children what they cannot. People of University Christian Church, do you promise to live so that these children know that they are loved by God in their church, and do you promise to welcome them with open arms and hearts into our community of faith? If so, please say, with God's help, we will. With God's help, we will. So these families bring with them extended family and friends. I would invite you to stand right where you are. And I would ask now, will you give yourself to the nurture, to the growth, and to the love of these children? And will you support their parents as they strive to give the very best to their children? If so, please say, with the help of God, we will. Thank you. You may be seated. And to moms and dads, will you give the very best of your lives to your children, loving and leading them to the love of God, first and foremost by example? And will you allow this community of faith to support you in prayer and in loving your child in ways beyond your reach? If so, please say, with the help of God, we will. Great. And what is the name that we have given to this child? Hope Wilkie Dunham. Will you come with me for a sweetheart? What do you think about all this? She was blowing bubbles a minute ago. She was, <laughs> weren't you? Hope I want you to meet your church family if you've not met some of them already. For the most part, they're nice people. <laughs> I can't speak for all of them, but most of them are pretty sharp. And they're kind, and they love you very much, even though they may not know you. And they have been entrusted with the task of showing you what it means to be a person of faith and to, and to be loved by God. And they will love you even in those moments when you might not always be lovable, that you make a mess in church or cry out in worship or whatever. But even in that moment, they will love you because that's what it means to be a person of faith. Thank you, Hope. And what is the name that you have given to this child? Donovan Earnhardt. Hi, Donovan. How are you, buddy? What do you think? You want to go with me? Donovan, this is your church family. And while their job is to love you and to show you what it means to be a person of faith, your job is to remind them of what it means to be a person of faith. Because Jesus said, as we heard just a moment ago, that if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to be like one of these. You have to approach life with curiosity, with passion, to ask good questions, to give your whole life, and to expect nothing in return. Yeah, see him over there? Your job is to also remind them 
of what it means to be a person of faith. Do you recognize some of these people? Yeah, there's grandma, I bet. Yeah, good. Excellent. Thank you. Good job. Will you pray with me, please? And now, Hope and Donovan, may God bless your mind that you might think while being a person of faith. And may God bless your ears that you might hear the cry of the poor. May God bless your eyes that you might see the good in every person. May God bless your hands that you might embrace others in love as well as be embraced by their love. And may God bless your feet that you might be quick to run to serve God in the common and in the everyday moments of life. Together, this is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. The hymn that Janet will be playing during our communion time today is one of my very favorites. It is called Come Share the Lord. I have fond memories of singing this hymn as I prepared to take communion in my home church growing up. This hymn is one of a few in the hymnal that my mom knew so well that she could sing the alto part, which is how I learned to sing it. This hymn holds some of my first memories of learning how to to sing harmony. And if preparing for the table isn't the best place to learn how to harmonize with others, I don't know what is. As I have aged, this hymn sits within me, and when I sing it, it feels like returning to an old friend but I also now recognize the importance of the words within this hymn. No one is a stranger here. Everyone belongs. As you partake today, may these elements, whether you are taking them for the first time or the thousandth time, remind you that you belong here just as you are, that you are loved just as you are. And with God, you are never a stranger. So as we gather at this table, we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body, broken for you. And the same way, Jesus took a cup And he blessed it and poured it, saying, This is a blood of the new covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Loving God, from many places we gather at this table today where all are welcome. We need to take a moment amidst our busy lives. As we gather here to break bread and drink from the cup, open our hearts so that we may feel your presence in our lives. Empower us and renew us so that we are strengthened to go out and serve others as your son taught us through his example of his life. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.